Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be finishing up Jonah. We're going to be doing chapters 3 and 4. Before we jump into that though, we're going to start out with some of our highs and lows from this week. Yeah. Um, So do you want to... I don't know if we should go in chronological or no. We we'll, I'll just uh, I I well I like starting out with, well I I do I, I like finishing I like finishing with a high yeah uh maybe it's just like you go we'll we we'll do high low low high just to try to bookend it with high things high you things <laughs> so I I guess for me uh high of the past week um was definitely going um hiking with the kids. Um, we went up uh, to Benton Falls up uh, ne- next to Chilhowee Recreation Area, which is like a little bit north of the Ocoee, and it was just gorgeous. Great hike for kids. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I think three total miles. Caleb had a blast. It was like right on his threshold of his, if we had been out there for 20 more minutes, I think that he would have had a total breakdown. But he was good the whole time. But he was good the whole time. Like the only the only tears were when he fell like twice, and then yeah. it was like he got back up and well, he was good. He, he thinks that he can just run everywhere, and you can't necessarily do that with roots sticking up and stuff. But it was a, it's, it's actually a great trail for kids. And yeah. um, last time we went there, Caleb was two. And I was pregnant with Sadie. Yeah, we had yeah. camped up there, and it was, camp- well, Caleb's one and only camping trip. Yeah. And went really well, except for the hike. The hike was pretty miserable. I think he cried most of the time. Like, we were down at the falls, and he was crying at the falls. Yeah. I got a picture of him leaning backward, like, arcing his back backwards. Well, I think crying. he also had, like, a poopy diaper on the trail. Yeah. So, that I had to change, so it was just like... Yeah, but totally different experience than what it was. The first time we did it, you, you were pregnant at the time, the first time we, we went and did that, but Benton Falls is gorgeous. I definitely recommend it. And I would say, uh, and we probably would both agree, our our low this week is yeah. definitely Caleb getting the flu. You know, we're not, we weren't able to do a lot of things because of that, and I've been working a bunch and having to stay really late, and then he's been feeling like garbage. Yeah, so just having to, for me, I guess, my side of that is, you know, it's just a long day when you are, like, confined to the house, where it's like, you know, you don't want to go out and, like, expose everyone, obviously, but then at the same time, you know, like, you're going kind of stir-crazy at home a little bit. and you're trying to keep Sadie from getting the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and trying to keep Sadie away and stuff, and she has, she has a knack for finding, like, a water bottle in the most random place that that was Caleb's and like I'll just find her sipping on it and I'm like no she really likes to drink from Caleb's water yeah she hardly drink for her own but then yeah. so I've started using some of Caleb's for her but yeah. it's still not going well yeah it's kind of like the fake remote <laughs> yeah the fake like, we have a fake rem- Roku remote that where, <laughs> it, where we like we got it like we kept it specifically for Sadie. Yeah, there's no batteries in it or anything. And we were anymore. like, oh, she'll think it's the Roku remote. And, she and knows. that lasts that lasts all of like one time yeah, where she she's totally like, This knows. doesn't do anything is, to that T V. Yeah. You guys, I'm on to you. And so then all she wants is the real Roku remote. Yeah. So, so it kinda with that for me, Milo with that too was taking them to the doctor. Um yeah. Sadie had just like a regular checkup and then Caleb was going to see if he had the flu, which obviously he does. And um it's just it's just not fun, especially, uh, I mean, Caleb is just so scared of the doctor at this age, and it's just, it's tough. Um, he did okay, but he was, he was definitely ready to go, and he got his four, you know, superhero stickers and brought them home and put them on the pantry door, so we have, like, a collection of Stickers from his last visit on the door, too. I think we have probably, like, ten stickers yeah, from the doctor. Yeah, I just randomly saw them. Like, I opened up the pantry door, and it was, like, ten stickers right <laughs> yeah, across like, all Avengers yeah, that's and our, Spider-Man. That's our doctor's appointment stickers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that was, that's definitely the, the low for week. Uh, the other 
I guess one of the other highs for the week was um, we kind of, <laughs> we decided to hold off on recording the podcast when we normally do so that we could watch the Tennessee-Kentucky basketball game. Yeah, which usually, I mean, like, I was pretty convinced it was going to end in disaster. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, so. we were like, oh, why are we doing this? We're going to end up just being, like, going to bed sad that we lost. But um, we ended up winning, obviously, and so that was... We had fun. Yeah, and, ten- and Tennessee sports is part of like what our relationship you know, like started on, and yeah, we and, love watching Tennessee stuff together. Yeah, sure. and and so that's kind of a thing that we we like to do and enjoy. Well, we try to enjoy it as much as we can, uh, and so we're big Tennessee fans, and there's nothing better than watching the Wildcats lose uh, at basketball and watching them lose to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of, in a, in a strange way, it all kind of worked out because we had to cancel Bible study this week. So it's because of kind the flu, of, because of the Caleb having the flu, yeah. um, not because of the basketball. Game. Yeah. No. Um, and so us being kind of behind on this one kind of, yeah. kind of worked out. Yeah. Everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah. Um, we're also going to do some icebreaker questions though. So Garrett, if you could visit any place in the world, where would it be and why? So I think I'm kind of stuck on two places. I would love to go to New Zealand uh, and see, you know, like just everything from the Lord of the Rings was, yeah. was filmed in New Zealand. And I love the Lord of the Rings. If you have ever heard me talk about the Lord of the Rings, you know that I'm infatuated with both book and movie Lord of the Rings. Um, and so I would love to go there to kind of experience that and feel like, I'm in the Shire, you know, I don't know, whenever I think of a longing for something, like whenever I think of, whenever I talk on the podcast or whatever about a longing for Eden, the thing that is in my mind is the Shire. Shire. (laughs) I have that just, just square in the front of my mind. I hear, you know, I hear the music of the Shire and I hear, you know, the party and the festival and Gandalf smoking a pipe on, you know, like with Bilbo Baggins. (laughs) No, I I have that like stuck in my mind of like whenever I think of Eden, that is like that, and, and I think that's part of what it's supposed to symbolize in the story, mm-hmm. um, is, is that, um, you know, is that Eden like quality uh, that it's like protected and it's like un, un unadulterated, you know, and and you know it's been kept it's been kept safe from the outside world and. You know, and it's all about saving the Shire. And then not only saving the Shire, but then expanding that and being like, hey, mm-hmm. this is bigger than just the Shire. So anyways, I like I picture that. And my second one would be Israel. Israel. I would yeah, love to go I to Israel. Israel. And like I would eat that. I would probably cry the whole time I was there. <laughs> it would it would be something like, I, you know, I, I, I kind of tear up just thinking about it, uh, you know, of what that experience could be in you know, it, it, I think I would I would love to go to Jerusalem and to be at the Sea of Galilee and stuff and just know all the things that happened there. That would just be wild to me. So what about you? Uh, well, I've had in my mind for a while wanting to go to Hawaii. And I don't really, I mean, it just, I don't know. There's just something, I just want to go somewhere that's like ridiculously tropical and beautiful. So I, I also think about those like places that are those like I don't know what they're called. They look like tiki hut type little yeah, I don't houses know. that are on pillars in the ocean and I don't know where those things are, but I would if not Hawaii then maybe to one Yeah, of you those. mentioned a slide that would go down into the, the ocean. ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder if I would actually Go well, down you the know, slide though. Well, like, but the water is crystal so clear. clear like, crystal clear water. Yeah, you can see if there's anything around. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just Hawaii just seems so Yeah. Beautiful. And then but then I see how far like I don't think I realized how far away. Yeah, like, when we looked at like, okay, what would map? it take to go? <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, how did how did human beings get to the point that we could we like, could leave from here and hit a dot that small? I, know. I was like, how is that uh, even big enough for? I mean, like, there's an they, airport on anybody, that little chunk of land. How did anybody ever find Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the it's the weirdest thing, but I, I I in some way I do think I'd still like to go to Hawaii, but I just yeah or some place like that. Yeah, that's just like ridiculously yeah. 
over the top beautiful tropical yeah, an exotic kind of thing yeah yeah um that's probably it yeah. so very different <laughs> yeah very different but that's the way it goes yeah um <laughs> So what's your favorite, as our last question, what's your favorite family tradition? So, and this is less of a tradition than I wish it would be. It's something yeah. that I loved as a kid. I've done it twice. Um, but my family um, has a tradition of doing what they what we call, it's throwing, throwing the fireball. Uh, and what that is, it's basically, it, just picture like a really tightly wound or like bound uh, ball of yarn. I mean, it's not like loose, like yarn, you know, it's like tight, almost like a rubber band ball type mm-hmm. of density. Yeah. Um, of it's cloth. It's like yarn. Um, and, uh, you soak it in kerosene for three to six months. And so it soaks up all the kerosene and then you light it on fire. You wait till, well, you wait till it's dark first, then you light it on fire uh, and you just get a big circle together in a parking lot or in a field. Away from cars. <laughs> yeah, or in a field, um, and you throw the fireball around. And, man, it is the coolest experience. You can catch, you know, like you can catch it and you like toss it back and forth in your hand. You wouldn't just stand there and hold it. Um, but, you know, you just, just got this flaming ball of fire that's legitimately, I'm holding it, you know, like tossing it from hand to hand. And uh, and you just have like the stark darkness behind it because like whenever that's in front of you, you can't see anything. Yeah. Other than the fireball itself, and how but big, you know how big was the fireball? It's about a softball size, yeah. so you're it's like definitely throwable. Like that's mm-hmm. what the, what, you're, what you're looking for, um, and so you know that you've got all your cousins and whatever around that are in this big circle, and so you just pick it up and you throw it, and so then you just have this big flame of like fire that's going. <laughs> you know, through the air, like, that's what it sounds like whenever you you throw it and you see it fly through the air, and then all of a sudden you just see it stop in midair because somebody caught it, and then you see it go back and forth, and you throw yeah. it to the next person, it is the coolest thing, I thought it was like, I was like, this is crazy, this is legitimately crazy, yeah. Um, and you end up with like all of the hair on your arms is like burned off, but you don't get burned, Um, I never got burned doing it. Um, so ju- that is just the coolest thing to me. I would like, if I could do that every year, I would totally do that. But it's the making, making the ball is like the hardest thing. Yeah. You, know, you got to figure out, find somebody that can do it. They can make it really tight because yeah. if it starts like coming loose, threads start coming loose, yeah. then you got problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so making it is really important, you know, yeah. but that's, uh, I'd say that's my favorite family tradition. For me, I immediately thought about christmas time growing up um and um a lot of the reasons i think we do some of the things we do with our you know own Mm -hmm. little family um but we always watched every christmas eve we watched home alone and had russell stover chocolate which my mom still gives each of us kids a box and i'm pretty sure nobody actually eats no we ate all well on christmas yeah we the when christmas is coming on those russell stovers are still we have well, box. you have so much yeah. to like candy, candy. but yeah, we totally ate them. Yeah, we just ate them after, after the fact yeah, because yeah. we have other Christmas muddy buddies and yeah. checks mix and <laughs> all, all the, the things. things. Yeah. Um. So that's something I think about, but then I also think about Christmas morning and like I just remember, um, like the my parents having the video camera and like all of us lining up at the top of the stairs and ready to go downstairs to see what Santa brought. And, um, like, I remember some years I would even go into my... We weren't allowed to go downstairs, you know, until my parents got up and had the camera ready and everything. And I remember, like, going into my brother's room or whatever and just, like, waiting or... I don't know, just, like, being, just getting up and being so, um, excited, but, so we'd go downstairs and see our Santa presents, and then my mom always had a big breakfast, and, um, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, just, all of it kind of feels like out-of-body kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know, it's, like, really surreal and magical, the way that that feels. It's still very, like, vivid in my mind of just, like, yeah, seeing seeing presents out, seeing candy out that Santa brought, seeing, you know, like 
the smells of like delicious breakfast foods. Yeah. That he, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. just really kind of, I don't know. It's just neat to think yeah, about. Yeah, I love that. I love that too. Just like whenever, I mean, and I, I remember that with at my like we would always go to my grandmother's house and I would be there for Christmas. Um, and uh, you know, and and whenever I got the opportunity to, we would have time with my my dad's mom and you know if dad was down there that was awesome and um but like we would do that on christmas eve with his family and then we would have christmas day um with my mom's family and all like even all that was magical and it's like it just has like a different yeah it's really interesting like how you feel about that kind of stuff like if if it's just the nature of being a child and how special yeah i know it's like because we i feel like we try to create that for our for our own kids and, and like having a special Christmas morning at our house, mm-hmm. um, like with just us and stuff. And it's like, I think as an adult now and being responsible for making all, making sure all the things, you know, happen, it's like, is this magical enough? Yeah. But it's like in their minds, they have such a different perspective on it than doing all the behind the scenes stuff to like make it happen, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so it's definitely my mind goes directly to christmas yeah all right so we're gonna jump into jonah but before we do that we're gonna garrett's gonna give us a recap yeah just i just kind of i just kind of want to give us placement in the story uh where we are uh just a really brief recap because you can go back and listen to the other episode but um essentially you've got this guy dove son of faithfulness jonah um, who was his called by God? He's told to arise, go to Nineveh. Well, he doesn't. He goes to Tarshish, uh, and you're um, you're left with this question of, well, you know, why is this prophet behave? Why is he? He's not behaving the way that any of the other prophets behave. Um, he's not doing what God tells him to. He's not going to the place that he's being called to. Um, he's being told to go to Nineveh. And we know that Nineveh is like super evil. Uh, that like if you can think of a uh, a, a, you know, if there was a top 10 list of like the bads of scripture, this is number two, most likely. I mean, you've got Babylon and then Assyria. So Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And he, so, and I'll kind of give you, uh, this is, uh, in, in one of my books, uh, introduction to the old Testament and the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and this is a, in a, um, description about Nahum, uh, which is one of the books we're trying to get to. Um, but it says that uh, Nahum's not real happy with Assyria. It says Nahum was not alone in celebrating Assyria's demise. Spoiler alert, Assyria goes down at some point. Um, but it, he's celebrating their demise for the empire had destroyed Israel and he made it, he humiliated Judah. Those are the two kingdoms uh, that the, the Israel split into, Judah being in the south and Israel being in the north. But he had humili- they had humiliated them, and they were notorious for their widespread cruelties, which routinely included the deportation of entire populations, the torture and mutilation of captives, and the chaining of prisoners with metal hooks in their jaws. I just thought that that last one, like, it gives you it's some, intense. it gives you some visual aid of like, oh, this, like whenever you're saying they're bad, like this is this is pretty intense. I mean, hooks mm-hmm. through their jaws, like to keep them in line, yeah, you know, in, with chains on them, so they can drag them along from place to place. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um. So that's who Nineveh is, and so you're you're wondering, well, is he just not going to Nineveh because he's scared? Um. And as the story progresses, it says that he flees, goes to Tarshish. He has this interaction with these sailors. Um, the sailors, uh, there's this big storm and whatever, and the sailors cry out and Jonah's like, oh, I'm a Hebrew, la-ti-da. Anyways, he tells him, tells him to throw him in the sea. Um, essentially, he's just being like, just kill me. Um, you can toss me into the sea, get rid of me, and the storm will stop. He never calls out to Yahweh. Nobody, you know, he doesn't ever say, hey, you know, call on Yahweh and I'll be there with you. I'll lead that for you, whatever, um, and to calm the storm. Instead, he's like, just kill me. Throw me into the ocean. And it says that this big fish uh, comes up and swallows him. Uh, and then there's this whole prayer uh, in chapter 2. The point being, Jonah was totally okay with dying. So it wouldn't seem that his fear, you know, you're like, it was he just afraid of Nineveh? Well, it doesn't seem like his fear is that is going to Nineveh and being killed at their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you're still wondering, as we enter into chapter 3, why did Jonah flee? You don't know yet. Um, and also, at the end of chapter 2, with this kind of uh, really high-level prayer, no repentance kind of thing, uh, you're left wondering, did Jonah actually repent? Mm-hmm. Um, and it says that it, chapter 2 ends with uh, he's vomited. The response to his prayer is vomit. Uh, and this fish vomits him up on the dry land. So that's where we pick up in chapter 3. So do you want to read the first little section here? All right, so Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. All right, so short little section here um, of the, he gets up. Yahweh says, he gives him a second chance. And he says, hey, get up, go to Nineveh, the great city. Uh, He keeps calling it the great city, just repetition of Genesis chapter 10. Um, And so he he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. He, He obeys, he finally obeys. Um, and then, uh, you have this statement of the, like, it talks about the greatness of the city. Um, it, so there's three different ways that this could be translated for now Nineveh was either a great city to God. It, it says it, it's great to Elohim. Uh, so it's either, um, great city to God, great city to the gods, or it's just talking about its extraordinary size. Um, and that it took three days to cross. So most translations will say it was just an extraordinary city. But the word God is in there, or gods, it's Elohim. Um, so you're like, okay, well, why is that there? What's going on with that? How is it a great city to God or the gods? Or, you know, is there something going on with that? But most translations will just be like, hey, it's just super big, you know? Yeah. Um, and he has this statement. He goes into the city and it says he cries out, 40 more days and Nineveh will be demolished. So what do you, what do you make of this? Well, I kind of want to jump back for a second because this was something that I realized maybe the next day after we did the last podcast um, and then was kind of like reaffirmed in the first few verses of this one is God's pursuit yeah. of Jonah. Like after everything Jonah did, God is still like... Yeah. He's still chasing he's still, him. He's still pursuing him. Yeah. And like... This is somebody who is supposed to, who supposedly like loves God and knows God and he's just not obeying him and God is still pursuing him. And then it also made me think about God's pursuit of Nineveh. Yeah. um, That we're kind of more seeing as we start reading, you know, this chapter. Um, But just kind of a pursuit of people who don't even seem to want to know him and who disobey the things he says mm-hmm. um and how he still is pursuing those people and how they're obviously important to him yeah. as he pursues Jonah. Yeah, right here in this opening little section, I mean you have yeah, so the one who claims God but disobeys him, he's pursuing that person. Mm-hmm. And the one that doesn't know God uh you know in well, I guess disobeys, but, but you can't really disobey if you don't know. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the one that doesn't know him, he's pursuing them too. And and like in Jonah, there is no doubt Jonah is a representative of Israel here. I mean, if you think about this whole story of how you know, right right out the gate and their major their major story that sets the tone for who they are and who they think who they know God as, the Exodus, they have they leave they leave the exit you know, they cross over the the Reed Sea, and it like three days, and they're grumbling, yeah, and they're crying out like they're just being like, "Look, you let us out here to die. We're gonna. There's no water out here. What are you doing, Moses? You just let us out here to die." And so then, God tells him, "Cut down a tree, throw it in the water, uh, and it turns this bitter water into water of life." Anyways, all that to say, I mean, it took three days for them to like go against Yahweh. Uh, and then the whole story of like going up, getting the covenant, the first thing they do, like they make the covenant, first thing they do, they run away from him basically. 
and they create this golden calf. And so yeah. the people that claim to want Yahweh disobey him, and he still pursues them. The rest yeah. of the story is his pursuit of them. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here with Jonah. And, man, I, I just that love that point, that two-sided point of that he's pursuing Nineveh, too. Yeah. That he's, like, trying to send this person, this reluctant prophet, he's trying to send him to the people of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, like, the whole... Again, it's that I'm going to bless all nations through you. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I also think it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, God says to proclaim the message that he, you know, gave to Jonah, but we don't actually get what that message was. So it kind of feels like, I mean... I, I would be curious to know what God kind of really wanted yeah, him to Yeah, you don't really say, get that dialogue. But you're not going to know. And this kind of goes to your question from a minute ago of kind of what do I think about the 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And, like, that's that's your whole yeah thing. Like, you spend all this time to go and you don't, like, you don't even mention God in your sharing of, right. you know, of, of going to this great city, this huge trek apparently that took three days you know Mm -hmm. it's like and you're not even gonna say anything about god right it's very curious i mean so this is all of five words Mm -hmm. there's five words here in hebrew Uh, so he's been told to go preach to nineveh uh because the cry has come up to them that was in chapter one that the cry has risen up to him and they're evil Mm -hmm. um and he goes he finally reluctantly goes to nineveh and he gives them five words and none of it talks about God. doesn't talk about Yahweh. It doesn't talk about, here's what you've done that's evil. Here's what you've yeah. done that's bad. Here's how you need to deal with that. Yeah. Um, instead, it's just, hey, 40 more days and Nineveh will be demolished. It like, just, it's just so... It like, just feels like a, trying to create fear and chaos mm-hmm. and maybe hoping that they'll just... Like, what are they supposed to do with that? Yeah. What are they supposed to do? What is their response supposed to be? Yeah, and so before we kind of jump into the response that's going to happen in the next few verses, kind of thinking if you're a person from Nineveh, first off, if this random guy comes in and says this, I might just laugh it off. I'm a a citizen of the most powerful nation in the world right now. Yeah. Like, think about it like that. I'm, we have, my people have like demolished your people. Right. Um, and you're going to come in here and say this, what do you think my reaction is going to be? Right. I, the most likely reaction from Nineveh is going to be, or is going to be like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, just get out of here. Yeah. Or, or, it's like, what were or you we're going to, gonna, we're going to kill you. Just scare yeah. us. Cause that's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. We're, we're stinking Nineveh. Come yeah. on, man. Like, we're not, we're not worried about you. Um, and so that's what the reaction you would expect to have. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you would expect them to just be like, hey, let's go kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that that's what kind of... Or maybe be like, what do you mean by overturned? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who, so, who is going to over... Or ask questions Yeah, about. yeah. So, and that's a really interesting thing. Um, whenever he says 40 days and Nineveh will be demolished, it's the word... Um, it could be, it could be demolished. Mm-hmm. But that same exact word can be used for turnaround to... Uh, to repent from something. Right. <laughs> so th- to mean to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jonah means it for their destruction, um, but there's other options on the table for this, and I don't think that Jonah really meant for there to be other options on the table. Right. He really wants Nineveh to be destroyed. So right. we'll pick up chapter or verse 5 here. All right. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw 
what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. All right. So, the, so the thing that we talked about, which is like what Nineveh is what most likely would, going to what do. What you would think they would do. Right. They don't do at all. Mm-hmm. Instead, they respond to this very vague, not helpful speech of, hey, it's going to be overturned or going to be or, demolished. Or sentence. Yeah. Not speech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Sentence. It's just a statement. <laughs> uh, they respond to it immediately. They put on sackcloth and ashes. We've talked about that before. Yeah, with Esther. Yep. Um, where it's just like lowering yourself to the grave kind of thing, like in, in humbling yourself. Which I think is interesting because in Esther we saw that it was the Jewish people doing that. Yes. So it's people who know God. Yes. And these are people who don't know God that are behaving like people who know yes, God. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, so the ones that don't know God are the ones that are actually behaving in a manner that's as if they do know him. Which and, is exactly what we also see within Jonah um, in chapter 1 yes. with the sailors who offer sacrifices to him and ask, like truly repent. Yes, and make um, vows and like search out a place to worship him kind of thing. And so the people that you don't expect to worship God are the ones that are actually the ones worshiping God. And the ones that you would expect to worship God are the ones that aren't at all. Right. And they're just disobeying him and trying their best to overthrow what what he is trying to do. Um, so they just immediately respond. And not only do the people respond, but the king, he just hears it secondhand. Yeah. He just hears about it. And this was fascinating to me because when I read what the king said, I was like, this sounds like who the true prophet yes. actually is. Um, this sounds more like what Jonah was supposed to say of like, this is what you're are, supposed to do. These are what, these are the things yeah. you're doing. These are the evil things you're doing. You need to turn away from them, do this. And in the meantime, you know, like let's fast and let's, you know, yeah, let's <laughs> legitimately like recognize our evil. And that's what right. he, that's what he says. Like, Hey, turn, you know, from your evil, like, so, and each must turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. So, like, he, this is exactly what Jonah was supposed to say. Right. But now the king of Nineveh, who's like the apex of the evil, right. is the one that's actually behaving the way the prophet was supposed to behave. Man, like, and so, okay, and then this just gets highlighted, highlighted again. Verse 9, it says, who knows? So he says, turn from it. Put on sackcloth and ashes, get rid of, you know, turn from your violence and all this stuff. And then he says, who knows? God may relent and change his mind and turn from his blazing anger so that we will not perish. So this is, this is hyperlinked to all kinds of different, all, all different verses uh, throughout the scriptures. Um, the first one being Exodus 32, 12, which is uh, Moses interceding for, for the people of Israel whenever they have turned against God and they've you know they've built the this calf and all this stuff and like Moses is trying to intercede for them and he calls he 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 calls out God's character and he's like listen I know that you're this way what what are the Egyptians going to think you know and he's like you know hey relent of your anger so that is repeated there Jeremiah 4:28 uh Jeremiah 26:3 and then the the major one uh, is Joel, who's another one. Of, he's on the same scroll. Remember that. So he, Joel is on the same exact scroll. Scroll, two fourteen. He's talking to Israel. Okay, or really, he's talking to to Judah, um, which is the southern kingdom. And he said he says this exactly. He says, "Who knows? Maybe he'll relent. He'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him and an offering in a, a libation." Uh, for Yahweh your God. So he's like, maybe God will relent and he will in turn give us blessing. If you guys would just, like, if you go read that whole section, he's going through for it, for for uh, for God's people, for Judah, of like, if you would just do this, maybe God would relent. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a prophet of God doing that. And so now this Ninevite king is repeating words of an Israelite prophet. Yeah. What in the world? Yeah. You know, like, so I think that that just kind of heightens that, 
um, that thought of like this dude is he's the one behaving like a prophet. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Um, I also think that it's like so cool how God can use such few and little words that yeah. aren't even probably <laughs> like Jonah's choice of words were like there's so much <laughs> he could have put in so much more effort. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And like it just shows how little God needs from us. How he you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know that. how to word that. this, but yeah. like of just like he doesn't he doesn't need us to be like super eloquent speakers all the time and like to do everything perfectly. Yeah. Like he needs just like just our effort at all just to kind of like step out and Yeah. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, I I think so. I, I think when we back up and we think about the points we made with chapter one, mm-hmm. it's it's this uh, idea of like even in Jonah's disobedience, yeah, something good came Can out happen. of it. Yeah. Like God turns it for good. That now that doesn't mean that we just were like okay whatever, right? Uh, we'll just do whatever. Um, but. It's just like even out of our disobedience, God can turn things into good. And I don't think this is at all positive towards Jonah. No, being like, way no to go, definitely Jonah. not. Way to go, Jonah, for at least saying some words for God. You right, know, like, I don't right. think that's what is going on here. But I do think it is important for us to recognize that even even when people do evil, that God can turn it for good. Yeah. It's that Genesis chapter 50 over and over and over again of Joseph's speech and talking about what God does and who yeah. he is. It's built into his character that um, that that's what he's, that's who he is. That's I, just yeah. who he is. And I guess I'm thinking more on like the flip side of if I feel like sometimes I can be timid to say something to somebody. Yeah. About, you know, just like about God or mm-hmm. just like, I think sometimes we think of it as being awkward and like just kind of recognizing God can use, like, everything, you know? And, like, to just, I don't know. It's just something that's kind of made me think, like, obviously, Jonah had it all wrong here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, like, his actions should not be, yeah. like, glorified in this instance. But, I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of thinking through it as, like, a, wow, if God can use even this, yeah. then why wouldn't I Yeah, for a heart, effort? think about what he could, what he would do with a heart that's full of him. Right. And wants wants good for their enemies right. who wants to love their enemies the way that we've been loved by God while we were still enemies. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I love that point where it's like, okay, yeah, like he can use this. Th- imagine what he would do with somebody that actually submits to him right. and wants to love their enemies the way that they should and the way that he's calling right. them to. Even if um, it doesn't go perfectly in your yeah, mind. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I I think I deal with that a lot, where it's like I'm worried about perfection and doing it exactly right, but then that consumes me. Yeah, yeah. But one one thing to note here is just like the the, um, totality or the the perfectness of the repentance, if that makes sense. So not only are the humans and the king repenting, but even the animals are repenting. Uh, the animal, the human beings and the animals must be covered with sackcloth and they must cry out, uh, you know, call out for, forcefully to God and turn from their evil ways. So it's like even the animals, it's all the way down to the animals repenting here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every character that's appeared in this story has obeyed, turned, relented or repented and gone back to God, uh, except for one character. Um, which is Jonah, who's the representative of Israel here. Um, and just really, really fascinating uh, little story. Not Probably not what you learn in uh, in Sunday school. I don't, you mean I, with the whale? Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it's like everybody has, tur- has turned, and, and now God relents. You know, and so the answer... The answer to God, like, the answer God always gives to people that legitimately turn uh, and want to go a different way is is compassion. Um, and so that's what he shows. Um, he, he saw their deeds, um, and that they had turned from their evil ways, and he changed his mind about what he was going to do um, and that he would bring on him, and he didn't do it. So it's just showing God's compassion for those that truly repent and that they want to turn around. Um, and 
how how he loves them and that was always his plan with this all right so Jonah chapter 4 and this was greatly displeasing to Jonah and he became furious and he prayed to Yahweh and he said oh Yahweh was this not what I said when I was in my homeland Therefore, I originally fled to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and having great steadfast love, and one who relents concerning calamity. And so, then Yahweh, please take my life for me, because for me, death is better than life. And Yahweh said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah's response, so finally we get like, we finally get a reason. Like, why did you flee to Tarshish? It wasn't because you were afraid. It wasn't because you were afraid to die. He, he, he finally gives the answer. You've been right. waiting for it this whole time. And the answer is, is I knew that you were great and compassionate, like gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and having steadfast love, that you would relent concerning calamity whenever these people turned. Whenever these people turn around, I knew that you were going to forgive them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that to happen. So I told you then Mm -hmm. that I was like, I wasn't going to have it. And so I went to Tarshish. I mean, so he finally gives that explanation. Yeah, and I think this is so interesting. It's helpful for me as someone who has always been kind of nervous about reading the Old Testament because Mm -hmm. of some of the things that are harder to deal with. When I read this, and it's so in line with, like, who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, that's part of why we wanted to do Jonah before we did Nahum. Yeah. And, um, like, just to kind of not just look at just the hard things, but looking at the story as a whole. Right. And seeing God's character over the course of time and right. how it really has not changed. It's not a it's not a different God in the Old Testament. Right. It's the same God. He's always been compassionate. He's always been slow to anger and abounding in love. And I just I love that. Yeah. I mean, even though this is Jonah saying it. Yeah. You know, like, no, he's saying I, it. He's saying it yeah. with frustration. Yeah. Of like, I knew this is who you were, and like. Yeah. It's like, well, of course you should have known. Like, yeah. you're an Israelite, like, or you're Hebrew, as you say. You know, like, you should have known this. Like, and, I that was who I was for you. And something that's interesting to me, too, is this is, like, the first time that it feels like Jonah is actually being honest with his emotions with yeah. God. Yeah, Um, Because before it was, like, this perfect-looking prayer in chapter 2 where you weren't really sure if he had repented because he never right. was like, I'm really sorry for running away. I shouldn't have done that. He doesn't, like, flat-out say that. And then here it's just like he's just frustrated and he just kind of like spills this all out to God. Yeah, yeah. Finally, he he tells him how he really feels. It it seems like he's told it to him before, we, but we didn't get that dialogue. Right. I, I think the author wanted you to hold on. Yeah. He wanted to hold you in suspense for a little while of like why why doesn't Jonah want to go to Tarshish? And, yeah. you know, like what what's up with that? And, and it's also, it, it feels a little dramatic. Yeah. To, I mean, the the last part of, like, I'd rather die than see you forgive yeah. these people. It's a temper tantrum. Yeah. He throws a temper tantrum. Like, if you've ever watched a child throw a temper tantrum, this is what it's like. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is, like, the most dramatic reaction. Throw yourself on the floor and kicking and screaming, you know. the uh, Caleb has had so many of these moments uh, where he would rather, you know, it's like, it just he's just like, I would just, I would rather... You know, you do anything to me, then I have to go do this, you know, whatever. Uh, but, I mean, he, he legitimately throws a temper tantrum. Um, but, so so one thing to highlight with this, uh, we talked about this character of God. Uh, this is, so th- this right here, this is the most repeated uh, verse of the Old Testament or like, you know, phrase of the Old Testament by the Old Testament. Um, and so this comes from uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This is Yahweh telling Moses who he is. This is what I'm about. Mm-hmm. And he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, you know, gracious and compassionate and uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. 
So this is a this is a repeated phrase all throughout the scriptures to de- that describes who Yahweh is. Um, and so this is this isn't just like a one off of like Jonah just saying, "Oh, I knew you were like this." This is something that they have been taught about Yahweh, about his compassion and who he is, and then he displays it through the Exodus. And through him taking them through that and bringing them into the promised land and all this stuff, um, his his compassion is everything about who he is. I mean, that's the, his his hesed is what the that word is for the steadfast love. It's his covenantal love. He's never going to forsake it, and he um, it says that he keep he keeps his hesed to the thousands of generations. You know, um, but one thing that it leaves out is that he doesn't let iniquities go unpunished to the third and the fourth generation. So that's just something to think about uh, as we go forward and we're thinking about Nahum. Nahum is also going to quote this section, but it's going to quote the very end of that section from Genesis chapter 34, which is that God doesn't relent or that he doesn't... uh, let iniquities go unpunished to the third and the fourth generation. So the whole point with that being for those that are, you know, those that are actively disobeying him, he does not just let that go. Um, but for the, you know, for those that repent and what we're seeing here, for those that repent and turn the other way, he has compassion on them. And he's like, all right, I'll, I, you know, for those that legitimately turn to me, I show compassion and grace on them. Yeah. That's his character. That's who he's about. But he's not going to be. He's not going to put up with evil continuing to happen with in his world. Right. In his good world, he's not going to keep. And we have to be okay with that. And we'll get into that as we go through the other books um, that'll follow this up as to like what is why why is Yahweh that way? Um, you know, he has that kind of tension and duality. It's not duality, um, but there's this tension of like he he wants justice, but he also is overwhelmingly compassionate. So how do we make those two things come together uh in in seeing Yahweh with 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 that complex character? Yeah. Um, and I you mentioned this when we studied it the other night of just like God's response of have you any right to be angry, mm-hmm. which he's that's gonna come up again of just like that kind of calm response after everything Jonah's yeah. kind of thrown at him he's just like calmly asking should you even be mad about this yeah it's the calm parents response to the temper yeah. tantrum <laughs> like what, what i'm what i'm shooting for as a parent <laughs> it's, yeah it's like it's you like, just threw yourself on the floor like is this really the way you it's almost just like looking down at the child that's laying on the floor staring up at you and just being like is this really the way that you want to go about this? You know, right. like, is this, do you have any right to be angry? Uh, and so we pick up verse five and Jonah went out from the city. So now he leaves the city and he sat down east of the city and he made for himself a shelter there. And he sat under, uh, under it in the shade, waiting to see what would happen with the city. And Yahweh God appointed a plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. Uh, and Jonah was very glad about the plant. So God appointed then a worm at daybreak the next day. And it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun rose, God then appointed a scorching wind, a scorching east wind. Um, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he grew faint. And he asked that he could die. And he said, my death is better than my life. So God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, enough to die. But but Yahweh said, you are troubled about the plant for which you did not labor, nor cause it to grow. It grew up in the night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right from their left, plus many animals. And that's how the book ends. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that this part is so interesting because it reminds me 
of parables, mm-hmm. but it's like a parable that's happening to Jonah in the moment of yeah. like using <clears throat> things that are going on around him to kind of tell a deeper story. Yeah. To try to help him understand his yeah. anger about, you know, forgiving and having mercy on a group of evil people. And, um, I just think it like I just think it's fascinating and it just seems like Jonah still doesn't really he's still not like grasping it. Yeah, he's still not making the connections there. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't really you don't get Jonah's answer uh there at the end. You get it about the plant he doesn't understand, but then he yeah. kind of asks him again and then the book is left open. Yeah. Um so a, a couple things um he goes out east of the city um, and then he sits down in the shade of this uh, shelter, and it says that God appoints... So there's three appointings in this. There's the plant, the worm, the east wind. There was a previous appointing in chapter 1 as well, uh, which is the appointing of the fish, the great fish. So there's four appointings, three appointings in this little section. Um, so those three things are appointed by God. Um, and the plant grows up and it it shade it's shade over Jonah's head. Um and so th- there's some there's some symbology I think going on with that. I mean so the plant uh anytime you hear Israel described, there there's so many uh times that Israel is described as like the as a tree, um or as um the shelter for the nations or that God says that he planted Israel. He planted Israel in in the promised land. Um, and so the whole point with that was that Israel was supposed to be a place of refuge. Um, so an example of that, um, Abraham, his interaction with God, it happens at the tree of Mamre. Uh, and he's like under the shade of the tree. He's like enjoying himself under the shade of the tree. And that's where, where he's staying and finding shelter. Um, and so that's what Israel was supposed to be to the nations, was this place for refuge uh, and this place for shelter. Um, and they were described as a plant. Like, more often than probably anything else, they were described as like a tree. Um, so anyways, uh, God would say that he grew that tree um, that was Israel. In this, you have this, this man of God, or supposed man of God, who's the representative of Israel. Now he's... Now there's this plant that's growing up that God's caused to grow up in this place. Um, and then he appoints a worm, something, I guess, you, you would normally think of worms as gross or, you know, whatever, you know, like evil almost. Um, and it cuts down the tree. Um, so, again, thinking in this parable idea, um, who cut down Israel? Nineveh cut down Israel. Um Nineveh was the one that came in and destroyed the northern kingdom, destroyed this plant, you know, because they were evil. They had, like, Israel had done really bad things, too. Go read kings. Um, There was never a good king in Israel. Um, So, anyways, he appoints something to come and take care of Israel uh, and cuts down the plant. Um, And so, there's that symbology going on here uh, that... um, this plant, I think, is representative of Israel and the, you know, of it getting cut down and whatever. Um, but anyways, Jonah really falls in love with this plant. He really loves the plant, just like he loves his people, uh, the Israelites, you know. And um, anyways, he falls in love with this plant and God takes it away. Um, and he's really angry about it. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I think the question is, is like, you didn't, you didn't do anything to earn that. Right. So why are you so mad about it? You know, why are you so angry that I took this away? Like he gave it to him without Jonah even asking for it. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to like help it grow. And yet he's mad that now it's gone. Yeah. And that's exactly how the Israelites feel about uh, what's happened. I mean, they did nothing to pursue God or anything like that. They, If anything, they just continually went away from him and Mm -hmm. then they were, you know, mad about like why have you abandoned us kind of thing and anyways um you know i i think it's just like you you guys continued to turn away from me and now this has happened um and you know i i think that parable it, it 
it's looking at Jonah being like, why are you angry about this plant that you did nothing to grow? Um, it's just the same as Israel is like, why are you mad? You guys didn't do anything for it. Like I got you to where you were and now you're mad about it. Um, and you know, and his response is, well, you know, I have every right to be angry about this plant, this little plant that I had for a day, um, angry enough to die. And you see that kind of temper tantrum being thrown. Yeah. Again. And I think it, to kind of like move forward with God's response of like, that there's 120,000 people, Mm -hmm. like just kind of showing how God sees this bigger picture of all these things that he is like Mm -hmm. all these people that he has created and that he cares for. Yeah. Um, like even if they've done bad things, he's like, I want, I want something good for them. Right. And you were supposed to be my representative to try to help that make happen. And yeah. now that now that that's happened, you're mad at me? Right. Like what what like what right do you have to be mad at me? This is exactly what I wanted right. from the beginning. Right. Um and then also just this idea of I think I mentioned in the last podcast of kind of like putting that mirror up in front of you mm. of and like seeing that you kind of are like Jonah, you being all of us. Yeah. Um of just this idea of a lot of times we think we know how justice should be served. Mm-hmm. We think we know how things should be. I think sometimes we think we know how things should be handled by God. Like that obviously the people doing this are so wrong. Like yeah. I can't believe they would do that. And I'm somehow like more chosen by God than they are. Yeah. And, um, that we kind of elevate ourselves a little bit mm-hmm. and like I I hate to say it but I think that I I, I do do that sometimes you know in my own mind I know I do just, it. Yeah. like of groups of people that you just look at that are so evil that yeah. somehow somehow you're like on some higher different level yeah. than them yeah. you know like that I'm talking about you know especially with groups of people that everyone agrees yeah. are evil. <laughs> yeah. Like that you kind of see You're in even story. to the point that you don't you don't want good for them. Right. Um and and that's what this book challenges you with. So this is a book that's written like this is a whole. I mean, you're thinking about reading this as a Jewish person. Uh that's primarily who it was written to at first. Um and it's like, guys, why why aren't you you know, why aren't you caring like, why don't you want good for your enemies? And this would be super challenging. I mean, this would be really challenging. And then to, I mean, that's why it's open-ended. Uh, it's not, because it's not, you realize it's not a question for Jonah. It's a question for you. Mm-hmm. How, how are you going to react whenever God forgives your enemies? Whenever God shows compassion on those people that you hate? Um, and so that that's what becomes the message of this book is like, oh, this wasn't about Jonah at all. This was about how how I'm reacting. I'm I'm the one that's claiming to follow God, but then I have these feelings of like, you know, I really don't like this person and I don't like that person and I I really don't want this person to be successful because well, they just don't they don't do things the way that I I think they should do them. And then you you right. same thing what you said. It's like, well, why does God reward that? And why does God do this and that? And you know, we elevate ourselves as if we know what ju- what real justice is. Mhm. And so it's just like I think we're being challenged to humble ourselves, realize that we weren't, we did nothing to earn our plant, you know, to earn our place, you know, right. and uh, that it was a it was a grace that was given to us, and mm-hmm. we need to want that for other people, even if they're, you know, behaving like garbage right now, um, right. even if they're not doing the right things to to that we want, we want good for them, um, no matter how evil and I, I think that's the story yeah. of this book do you have any other thoughts on this section yeah. uh i think um as far probably not this section I've, I've got a little bit more for this book do you have something specific well i just thought we'd wrap it up you can say whatever you're gonna say i thought we'd wrap it up the same way we ended esther with like our favorite part oh, of this okay book. okay so I, I think as a whole what we're looking at for jonah I think we think of Jesus as being that introduction, like all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, love your enemies. You know, like, oh, what a new teaching. Yeah. Um, but but Jesus isn't 
like this is this is his Bible right here. This is what he's going to to inform him of who he's he's supposed to be, uh, of who he is as the Messiah and him teaching Israel who they're supposed to be. Um, his love your enemies as yourself. That's not a new teaching. That's that's this book. That's what this book is doing. It's not, and it's not just this book. It's all kind, of, you know, all other stuff. I mean, all you we saw how this was pulled from Exodus chapter thirty four, and how they were supposed to treat the people around them. You know, chapters thirty through thirty three. You know, is like all of Exodus is like here. Here's how you're supposed to treat people, um, and loving your enemies is not a new teaching. It's just. Jesus, it just for for whatever reason, it's like they had lost their way, and Jesus is the good shepherd who comes along and says, "No, this is remember, guys, this is who we're supposed to be." So, I think the book of Jonah, like it, he's, I think he's so informed by this book of like who, what, what does it mean to know God, and that's, um, you know, understanding that God loves your enemies too. Um, that that's part of knowing who God is. So, do you want to so. go off with the? I guess start us off with the favorite part. Thing. Sure. Um, it's kind of tough for me. I think, though, I'm going to have to say, because it's just the most memorable part to me of Jonah saying, like, I knew you were compassionate. Let's see. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, I feel like that's just something I needed to hear. And I needed to hear it because I know that there are some difficult, like what I mentioned earlier, I know that there are some difficult things to read about in the Old Testament. And so for to be reminded and for you, like bringing up all the connections to where mm-hmm. that is also seen of just like tracing that throughout scripture and, and realizing this is who God is and this is who he's always been and it's who he's always going to be. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a big moment for me of just kind of realizing that, getting to see it in one of these Old Testament stories. And I just, I loved being able to see that. So, so shockingly, it had nothing to do with the whale. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I know, I'm yeah. doing that to get on your nerves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fish. Yeah. Uh, I You know, um... I think for me, um, man, I really love that part. Uh, so I can't really reuse it. Man, I just love. Thanks that. for letting me go first. <laughs> yeah, I just love that statement: gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and having steadfast love, and the one who relents on concern concerning cal- calamity. Oh man, I mean, like that is yeah. just so good of like yeah. who He is. Yeah. Um, and how that's just repeat. Uh, here's a fun <laughs> fun one. Um, this isn't my favorite, but I just forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, the beginning of four one. Uh. It says that this was greatly displeasing to Jonah. The literal thing is that uh, this was displeasing with great displeasure to Jonah. It was, uh, it was like double raw. So raw is the word for bad or evil. Um, it was raw raw, <laughs> kind of. Uh, it, it's it's a repeated word in there. Um, I think it's raw yeah raw kind of thing. Uh, anyways, I don't know Hebrew so, but. I know enough Hebrew to be dangerous, but, um, but anyways, I just think that that's funny of like just that repeti- repetition. Uh, I I'd say my favorite thing outside of that of what you just mentioned, um, I loved seeing that connection in verse nine of chapter three of who knows God may relent, and change his mind, and turn from his blazing anger, uh, that we will not perish. Um, you have this Ninevite king who. You know, you would think is the apex of evil, but even that person can turn mm-hmm. uh, and experience God's grace, and 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 how it's just this repetition throughout the scriptures. I mean, it's over and over again. It's not like I I did quick searches on this stuff, you know, and was like, hey, where does where do these words come up uh, in the same verses and stuff? I it's it's very much a part of God's character that for those who legitimately turn to Him, that He shows them compassion and grace and. Uh, I think that's exuded in the person of Jesus. Um, and whenever whenever he's walking on the scene, I mean, this is, that's Yahweh God in the flesh. You know, he's behaving the same way that this God is beha- is is described here. And they're no different from one another. Um, that if we would but turn to him, uh, that he's abounding with, with compassion and steadfast love. 
So there you go. Yeah. But uh, I hope this has been a really good study for you guys for Jonah and been a different experience than maybe what you had uh, growing up. I think it's really cool for us to go back and read books that maybe we got too familiar with as far as what we thought the story was. Uh, this right in the heart of of the scrolls, scroll of the 12, we have a book about loving your enemies uh, and blessing those who persecute you. So mm-hmm. message of Jesus is, is just tucked away right here and it's just a really beautiful um, thing to see um, uh, in your Hebrew Bible. Yep, so we'll be back next time with Micah. Micah.